Hola, my esteemed guests. I'm going to start this podcast with a question, two questions. I heard it in a song once. Made me think. How do you know what you know? And where do you get your beliefs? As in, what do you find to be true? What do you think is true? And why do you think it's true? And something else to think about. How much of what you think you know to be true about the world is uh, deceiving your perception of reality from what is truly real? Last episode, we talked about curiosity and how curiosity opens the door to, one, the uh, quantity of our knowledge of the universe, our knowledge and our skills, so how much that's the horizontal axis. We can spread out and learn more things, and curiosity is the key to that door. And curiosity also opens the door on the ceiling, which is our ability to think and how deeply we can think. And I gave you the puzzle. And curiosity has you start to ask questions. But that can go down a very dangerous road. You can start to assume as you're asking questions and learning things, assume that some things are true. And I think by the end of this, ideally what I'm going to have you realize is you have been deceived. And the more that you ask questions and think about it, the more you will realize that lizard men are actually controlling our planet. And the planet is flat. Yeah, so this episode's brought to you by coffee, and it there was a chance that it wasn't going to be true. I was going to make coffee, and then Kendra, my wife, was like, I'll have some tea. I was like, hmm, maybe I could do that, but nope. I know I talked about mint tea before and how I'm going to try to get away from coffee, but here I am, man. It's too good. Anywho, I'm chilling here in corona quarantine i got my dog who now thinks that i'm speaking to her she's just staring at me quietly blinking (laughs) but i'm doing a podcast and this is the second part of the series that i'm calling the process first episode was curiosity so curiosity was the desire to know as in like curiosity in my opinion, opens the door, as I previously previously said, and can improve your intellectual ability and will make your life more interesting. So curiosity is the desire to know. So you are becoming more aware of your surroundings. You're becoming more curious about your surroundings and you're desiring to understand your surroundings. As you are doing that, you must remain objective, is my argument. And I'm arguing this as I was reflecting on the process of what we go through in developing tiny humans. So tiny humans to adult humans who are ready to vote and become proper citizens in our society. What is the process like? I would say the early stages is like getting the base foundation. So like their ability to read, write, use reason, communicate, empathize, right? These are very important things. And then at some point, and that's also the, we should be working on their curiosity. So that's very important at that age, especially if like, Maint and growing that and like um, having roots within their curiosity, right? So maintaining that by the time students get to middle school or high school, 
hopefully we're keeping the curiosity curiosity up i think that might be where it starts to die down and with that we're adding in this critical thinking aspect of ob objectivity so let's say history science is ideally objective entirely right but like history when you're looking at something and someone recalls a story then you have to ask yourself like is this true why is this person saying this right like that's the objectivity part so the definition of objectivity is a um, of a person or their judgment not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts so i'm gonna go i'm gonna break this down in two categories when you're researching and then when you're reacting or responding when you're doing research are you being influenced by per your personal feelings or your opinions when you're trying to find out the truth and we're going to talk about truth in a moment when you're reacting to something are you and like trying to make sense of whatever is happening to you and responding to whatever's happening to you are you being objective are you not being influenced by your personal feelings or opinions so while you're being curious and trying to understand the things around you when something's put in front of me and i'm trying to understand it how much of my own personal opinions or my feelings are influencing my understanding of that thing in front of me because the thing in front of me is exactly what it is it is reality if you want to get into like even how i look at it and like see it can change like and that's something that's like kind of weird that i think about too like this is kind of a tangent but uh, people who are anorexic, when they look in the mirror, they see their body differently than how everyone else sees it, right? So their perception visually of reality is different. Um, that, they're being subjective and that's like not, they're cognitively subjective, I suppose. And like that's not even their fault. It, like it's very subconscious and deep, but it's like even impacting how they see something. Like what they see isn't actually real, which is kind of crazy because then if that's true, then like how much of everything that I'm seeing is even uh, altered by my subconscious and like how I want to see things and like maybe I'm seeing something and it's not the way that the same way that everyone else is seeing it assuming that's not true all the time or assuming like even if that is true we're all sharing a general sense of reality so like I see a guitar in front of me and someone's like okay that has six strings and it's a guitar I'm like okay confirmed when that is in front of me that is true now as I start to try to understand it and then I form conclusions on it and learn about it, am I trying to understand it for exactly what it is or am I trying to understand it for what I want it or hope it to be? That's the that's subjective curiosity. If I'm just trying to understand it for what I want it to be or hope that it is, I'm not being objective and we'll get into like why that isn't good. So we are if you're down with the process, you gotta trust the process. We are trying to be, be objectively curious. I'm gonna call it truth with a, cap, with a capital T. Capital T, truth. That's external things and internal things. So we should be objective in seeking external truth. So whatever is around us, we should try to understand it for what it is. And then whatever is in us and ourselves, we should try to understand ourselves and be objective about understanding ourselves, like who we are. It's difficult to do both aspects. Um, I would also some like argue that if you hear like anyone say like, oh, like tell your truth. I'm not saying truth can be subjective. I think a postmodernist mindset is would 
not like go all the way off the deep end and say like there is no objective truth, but a lot of postmodernist thinking is like most everything is subjective. So like let's say like murder's bad. You might say like, oh, that's objectively true. That is very deep, right? And some person might say like, well, no, that's not true. Like, and then it's true to them and your opinion's true to you. And I'm not saying that's not necessarily true. I would say the objective truth is that that person feels that way. So for instance, let's say Jeremy, his truth is the world is a bad place. And that is true to Jeremy. That's a subjective truth. We can still use the word true, but I would say that's like a lowercase t. The uppercase truth in that aspect is Jeremy thinks that the world is a bad place. That's objectively capital T. That's objective truth. That's capital T, right? Or even for instance, like I was talking with friends about like, the Amish and like the things that they wear and a lot of people with like how they worship God and like is God objectively true who knows man like that's I don't think science can objectively deny that God exists I don't think you can prove that God exists like that is subjective truth and like that is a core truth for lowercase t for a lot of people I would say, and we were talking about like how different Christians even like worship and like how they look down at others and say like, oh, that's wrong because this is the truth and how like they're all arguing for truth. And I was saying like, well, I think there is truth in there. I think the truth that you can at least try to understand is people do certain things or practice certain ways in order to come closer to God. Now, if you want to like argue if God is real or not, that's uh, that does that's not the point. The objective truth is people practice in different ways to experience God. That's objectively true. The statement about someone's personal truth is the objective truth. Science, as I said before, ideally is pursuing the objective truth. Like that's the thing about like I think I've misquoting it like the thing about science is it doesn't really care about your feelings science is the process of understanding objective truth that's what science is now the results of the process is us just understanding the universe I'm also going to make an argument here at the end that we should like not go entirely all in on objective truth and I'm going to use a um, scene from the movie iRobot. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to use the scene from the movie iRobot where entire objective truth and reasoning could be wrong. And when I get to it, I want you to think about what that might be if you've seen the movie. And then let's see if you're right later on. Now, we should, according to the thing that I made up, the process, we should be objectively curious. What prevents us from being objective? Because in the end, like we are all subjective and we all, even when we're trying to understand the truth, like the way even which we go about it is subjective, right? It's influenced by what's called bias. So bias is prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. I include the unfair thing 
bias is not always unfair. For instance, I prefer Coke over Pepsi. I'm biased. A lot of our bias is both nature and nurture, could be. Um, you, your views of the world are, in a sense, subjective and biased. Like, you view the world because, and I'm not going to get like entirely into identity politics, but like a lot of the reason in which you view the world is because of your past experiences as well as like where you're currently at, right? Those factors all influence how you understand the world. It could even be your bias in the sense of like the process in which you go about understanding something. You are favoring one way over another. It could be like it's for everything. Your bias in regards to like what you like to eat. Your bias in regards to your musical taste. You're biased in political opinion. I would argue that you think certain things because of who you are. And like that seems very obvious. And if you find that to be offensive, that's kind of stupid. If you were a, I mean, like, let's go extreme. If you were a mid 30s Chinese woman in the 1400s, you would have different opinions on pick a topic. Okay. Right. You're not. <laughs> Someone's going to be offended like, oh, how dare you assume? My dog just got excited when I made that noise. How dare you assume who I am? Well, I know you're not a mid-30s Chinese woman in the 1400s. Let's say that. But whoever you are, it is, it is influencing how you understand, let's say, like the um, horizontal plane. The things you understand, it's influencing that and then how you understand it. And then the vertical way and like the way in which you go about learning about something is also biased in a sense. That will get into the whole, like the way in which you go about understanding things and like how that can be influenced even by time and place. We'll get to that. But I have two categories. So while we're being curious and trying to understand things around us, so our intelligence is our ability to acquire and apply knowledge or skills. While we're seeking that process of understanding something and acquiring that knowledge or skill, um, I would say there's two categories and I'm going to dive into some of the examples of bias within that. Now, I just like just in your own time, if you're interested and you care, just Google different types of bias and it's an absurd list. Like there's multiple Wikipedia pages on it. I know Wikipedia isn't academically great, but like Wikipedia is actually decent if you're just trying to gain general knowledge because they do have people monitoring it. But like the list is crazy of all the different ways that you could, that all the different ways that prevent you from finding capital T truth. Now, the two categories are research. So I would say research is the process of seeking out, of seeking to understand something. You're researching it, like you are seeking to understand it. And then um, reaction or response, and that is responding or making sense of something that has happened. So let's say like 9-11 happens, you react to it, you try to make sense of it. That is like you are going to form a conclusion like even just like you don't it doesn't have to be opinion 
the way you understand it is biased. Bummer. Or if you're like going now, let's say 2020, during your quarantine time, you're going to like research 9-11. The process in which you go about understanding it is going to be biased. So in the end, I'm going to pretty much say like it's impossible not to be biased. But like these are things that we should be aware of as we're going through the process of reacting or responding to things or researching. Cool beans. Let's start with research and let's start with the biggest one form of bias uh, that I think this one can be worked on, but it's called confirmation bias. Um, There are so many different studies within the field of psychology that like explores confirmation bias. But um, when we're trying to seeking out to understand something, we all deep down are hoping to find information that justifies what we already think about the world or believe about something it makes you feel happier when like you think something's true and then you research it and then you just find more information that like supports like oh yeah i'm justified or like i'm right that's called confirmation bias and we all hope for it to be true but we should be aware of what confirmation bias is. Um, I found, I'm going to read an excerpt and quote, one of the most famous of these conducted, talking about experiments, one of the most famous of these was conducted again at Stanford. For this experiment, researchers rounded up a group of students who had opposing opinions about capital punishment. Half the students were in favor of it and half thought that it deterred crime. The other half were against it and thought that it had no effect on crime. So one half thinks that it's good, it's going to prevent crime from happening, the other does not. They're going in with these opinions. The students were asked to respond to two studies. One provided data in support of the deterrence argument, and the other provided data that called it into question. Both studies, you guessed it, were made up and had been designed to present what were, objectively speaking, equally compelling statistics. The students who had originally supported capital punishment rated the pro-deterrence data highly credible and the anti-deterrence data unconvincing. The students who had originally composed capital punishment did the reverse. At the end of the experiment, the students were asked once again about their views. Those who'd started out pro-capital punishment were now even more in favor of it. Those who'd opposed it were even more hostile. End quote. So just think about that. You let's say like you're pro capital punishment you go in already having this opinion you're given two different sources one is giving data that supports what you think and the other is giving data that goes against what you believe someone asks you like how do you feel about that you say like the one that supports what you believe you're like that seems credible and then you call into question like you try to point out all the flaws within the one that goes against what you believe and then even though you got data that supports or that sorry that goes against what you believe like you've been faced with data that might support why you're wrong because you also got data that supports why you might be right. You, these people left feeling even stronger that they're correct. Why? That's confirmation bias. This is Facebook and I'm going to just go in on the Facebook politicians of our world. But confirmation bias is when you were doing research, you're going to 
focus on and pay attention to things that support what you already believe. So what should we be aware of? At least when you're trying to research something, ask yourself, okay, before I type all this in there, I'm just going to be honest with myself. What do I hope is true? And just understand it, put it out there. I'm like, okay, I've said it. I hope that this is true. But you need to, despite everything that is within you, because we're going to, I would think it's natural that we do this. You need to resist that. And if you find information that goes against what you actually believe, you don't have to immediately assume it's true because that information could be wrong and we'll get into, I have another curriculum series coming up that's going to be about understanding the world, like world studies. Sourcing, you got to check your sources, right? But if you come across data that goes against what you believe, you can't just nullify it and say like, nope, and then find data that proves why you're right. I'm like, okay, this is the one I'm going to use and like just champion that. You have to at least acknowledge it and be open to the possibility that you could be wrong. The best way to do that is to genuinely ask yourself, like, what do I hope is true? Because I don't know why that we do this, but we, it's almost like if I don't say it out loud and then I find data and then I'm like, oh, nice. Then I'm like, I'm going to support what I think. But if you're just like, hey, this is, this is my opinion. This is what I hope is true. And then you find something that goes against it. You're like, all right, well, I know I said, I hope that this is true, but like, this exists now and I have to at least acknowledge it. And by and when I say like acknowledge it, that doesn't mean like acknowledge it and then ignore it. You have to acknowledge it and then look deeper into it. I don't think like the per, the point is like we shouldn't be just seeking out when understanding the world and being curious. We shouldn't just be trying to understand things for what we want it to be. The goal is to try to understand it for what it is. So like acknowledge what you hope it is, but like don't get butt hurt when the world isn't the way that you hope it is because the world doesn't revolve around you and the way that you hope things are, that's not life. You are just a, like a functioning sack of organs with skin and bones and muscle with a brain. You're a part of it. You're not the center of the web. So your opinions on the way things should be aren't necessarily true. And we're going to argue in the end. It doesn't help you in the end. It doesn't help you to go against the grain and like resist truth. Okay. The next type of bias. <laughs> so confirmation bias is you acknowledge, you seek out, and that kind of goes into the next one, but you respond to and acknowledge data or information that supports what you already believe. And like there are so many experiments done by Stanford and other universities or colleges that like it's psychology, right? Like we as humans just do that. There were different theories as to why. We'll get into it in a little bit. The next one is selection bias. So when you're doing research, um, you the process in which you go about like selecting data or information is biased and like especially now with let's say like facebook or all sorts of the internet in general like google um 
Facebook has this algorithm, if you don't already know, and the way it works is it when you search something or even like your feed, your feed, it ranks all available posts um, based on how likely that it's going to give you a positive reaction. And that is the stuff that you see. So when you're researching something, could be through Facebook or even Google, like Google is going to, when you search something, it's going to give you things that's more likely to engage you. And with confirmation bias, you're going to click the stuff that's going to like, you're, you think a certain thing, you Google a question trying to be as objective as possible. It gives you sources. Those sources, because of confirmation bias, are going to be things that you already want to read. I don't remember like this specific study, but they took Democrats and Republicans and ha- like not like the politicians, but people who lean up certain political side and they had them Google something could be like guns. The Democrats, when they Googled guns, it was stuff about gun control, or, like the negative things about that guns are doing. And then when the Republicans did it, this is the example. I don't know if this is one that's like the actual example of like the thing they Googled. But when the Republicans did it, it was like positive stuff about guns. What does that say? That's like your selection bias. So like, what are you selecting? That's rooted in confirmation bias. Are you selecting things and only selecting things that are confirming what you already think? Or are you selecting both sides? And that kind of goes into the next bias. And that's um, and this was like bias for statistical research stuff. Um, re- statistical research stuff. That's a stupid way of saying it. Anywho. The omitted variable. So when you're leaving out one or more important variables from your model. So, um, and these are also things that when you're looking at research, you should be looking at like, okay, are these people biased in which they did research? So like, let's say omitted variable. If someone does a poll on the views on Trump and they post it up on, let's say Facebook, who are the people that, while they're on Facebook, are going to be the ones that respond to views on Trump? You got to ask, you got to think like, okay, what are the demographics of people that use Facebook? At least age-wise, that's definitely a middle-aged to now it's getting older age group are the ones that are on Facebook. And the ones that are going to respond to a Trump poll are going to be either, I would say, more politically energized either to the right or to the left so when you're seeing the results of a poll that's like asking for the views on trump and it's like americans like americans views on trump and then it's whatever the result is they didn't ask everyone and that is not necessarily like their fault but you got to think about like okay who's responding to this and then more importantly who's not responding to this So when you think of like the omitted variable, when you are learning about something and then you're hearing like a point of view on a topic, you got to ask yourself, okay, who am I not hearing from? What are the other potential viewpoints on this? The confirmation bias is I'm going to hear from someone who supports the way I feel about it. And then it's just going to make me feel even stronger about it, even though that's not the truth. The... And that's like, and that's like even selection bias. The omitted variable is what are the other viewpoints on this that I'm not currently hearing? What could they be? 
let let's go with uh let's just stick with president trump and you like okay what are the viewpoints what are the views on trump like how's trump doing republicans are going to say one thing far-leaning republicans are going to say something else casual democrats are going to say something extreme democrats are going to say something else right what are like other viewpoints how about people in england and i'm Here's another one, and I'm not even say, and I'm not saying that they're not part of the Democrats or Republicans, but like, what's the Native American viewpoint on Trump? Because they're also in the United States, right? Like, what are all the different potential views on this man and the president? The objective objective curiosity is trying to consider the omitted variable. Like, what am I not considering? Whose viewpoint am I not considering? What am I leaving out? So that poll that's given on Facebook, that's only really asking a specific demographic, and that's people who use Facebook. And then even within that, it's people who are strong enough in their opinions to actually like want to go through the poll and respond or the survey. So that's omitting everyone else that does. Anyone that doesn't use Facebook is immediately omitted from the poll. So when you're looking at the results... You can't assume like, oh, that's true with a capital T. The truth is like, okay, these are how a certain demographic of people on Facebook feel about President Trump. It doesn't blanket over everything else then. The omitted variable is everyone else. Okay, next one. Again, this is just to take a step back. We're thinking about right now, when we're learning about things, I Google viewpoints or Americans view on Trump poll on Facebook okay I'm trying to understand it you got these are the things I need to be thinking about what do I hope to be true just acknowledge it because when you acknowledge it and then you see something that's not it you're at least like okay this is not what I wanted at least you're aware of that the selection bias what articles or sources are you selecting and that goes with like sourcing. Who are they? What do they think? Are you selecting things that just try to confirm what you feel? The omitted variable, as in what are you not looking at? What's not being considered? Whose voice is not being heard? So when you're researching and trying to understanding, trying to understand things, you should be aware of these things. The next one's funding. So and it's in regards to like when you're doing research. Um, when the results of a scientific study are biased in a way that supports the financial sponsor of the research. So Bloomberg pays for studies or Bill Gates pays for studies or Elon Musk pays for things. They are also biased. And then not even like individuals, but organizations are biased. Oil corporations, when they're giving you research, where's the money coming from? Where are you getting your information? And then is it funded by something? If I get graphs and surveys and information from an oil corporation that's going on climate change, it's going to be different than a group that's like from the Green Party. And both are biased, right? They both want to try to... They're, both experiencing confirmation bias and they're trying to get you to believe what they want you to believe you got to ask yourself is there money involved in this 
And if so, where's the money coming from and who are these people? What's their confirmation bias? What do they want to be true? Um, another one. There's two and they're kind of, well, almost like similar but in opposite ways, which I don't know if that makes sense. So another form of bias, I suppose, it's called the, it's called the curse of knowledge. And that if you know something... Um, it seems really obvious to you, and then you kind you assume that people know as much as you do. That this might be the re- now that I'm saying this a lot. This might go into the reaction category. So essentially, if people are responding to something like acting a certain way, and you're like, "How can they do? Like, why are they thinking that? Like, that's so stupid. These people are so dumb." You might be assuming that these people know the same things that you know. Right, so in your views of other people, the curse of knowledge is like you might know about a certain topic and when people are responding and like acting in regards to whatever topic that is and they're responding in a way you wouldn't, you might be assuming, oh, like these people are stupid because you assume that they know as much as you do. So that's the curse of knowledge. The other kind of like similar but also opposite is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And that is if you learn about something and you only know like a little bit about it, you view it in a very simplistic way. So like, let's say you're doing research and let's say like capitalism or war or humans, like you research and you learn a, we'll call it even a decent amount about, let's say like capitalism or socialism or war or human psychology. The amount that you know is how you view it generally. So as in like, if I, view if i know a little bit about it it seems simple to me and then i view it as simple and then i view it like this is easier to comprehend than it actually is so like people who are i would say and this comes with wisdom as well but people who are more experts in something they're much more quickly to say like this is extremely complicated and like acknowledge the things that they don't know about it so when you're viewing something and you know like a base general knowledge about it, don't assume that like you now understand it entirely because you're viewing it in a very simple way because you have simply understood it. War, to break it down into good or bad is tough. Like you watch Band of Brothers. Kendra and I are watching Band of Brothers right now. You watch Band of Brothers and like you form opinions on war. Like it's so much deeper than you can possibly consider or like understand. Like there's so many variables to it. Capitalism, there's so many variables to it. Humanity, all this stuff. You can't, like you just research a little bit about it. You can't just assume like, oh, like it's pretty simple. Like I could explain it to someone. Always assume that it's way more complicated than you understand and just assume, okay, what I know about it doesn't mean I fully understand it. It's just what I know. And I'm open to the possibility that I don't understand it entirely. So that's a few, because as I said, the list is absurd. A few examples of ways in which, while we're researching, we prevent ourselves from being objective and finding the capital T truth. The big one is we all as humans want things to be true the way that we want them to be. We want things to be the way they want them to be. 
we feel good when, let's say like, I think something's true, I do a little bit of research, I find a piece of information that supports how I feel, I feel good. That's confirmation bias. We're all generally seeking a little bit of confirmation bias. And with that, we select the information to support what we want to be true. We omit other things. So we should ask ourselves, what am I missing? What is not? Be what opinions are not being represented here? You don't have to agree with the opinions, but you should at least understand those opinions. Um, we should always ask, I mean, and that also kind of goes with when you're researching something, you should ask yourself, like, is this being funded by anything? Is Are they biased? Because they are, because we all are. And is that going to influence me or prevent me from getting to the actual truth? You should, while you're researching, one, assume not that not everyone knows as much as you do about it. So don't get all butthurt if people are acting a certain way about something like you know a decent amount about. And then two, you should assume that you don't know everything and don't oversimplify things. So as you are understanding whatever, don't assume like once you have a base general understanding and like you can talk about it to other people, don't assume that you just understand entirely because you're oversimplifying it. Always assume you have more to learn about that topic. So your opinion on that topic, I guess ideally should never be finished being formed. You should never, or I won't say never, but like you should rarely ever have like a finalized opinion on something because there might be an, an omitted variable that you're not aware of. All right, that's researching. The next one's reacting. So reacting is responding or making sense of something that's happened. So I said like 9-11 before, it could be people interacting with you, major events, even like coronavirus, right? Um, there are a few biases or things that prevent us from, while we're reacting or responding to things, from understanding it objectively and with a capital T, understanding that truth. The first one's recall. So we, as humans, don't remember things entirely correct. For instance, I was out with my family a few years ago now. Uh, we were out in the woods just doing a little bit of a nature walk. It was snowing. It was a nice time. And we were reminiscing on family stories and like when we were camping. And so as we're walking, we were talking about camping stories and... I brought up the story. Um, this was when I was probably like, I don't know, like five, six. I don't know. I, it's all a blur now. <laughs> and I'm only 27, so it's just going to get worse. But I'm like five or six, and we're out camping. And so there's this campsite. There's a road. And then across the road from our campsite is this hill with a bunch of trees. And my brother and I are just playing around on this hill. And um, my brother goes like running full speed down the hill falls like trips because his momentum and his momentum brings him onto the road and he gets like all scraped up on the road and my parents are like all right sean please we're gonna take justin we're gonna like clean up his scrapes please do not do anything stupid on the hill i'm like you got it give it five minutes i go running sprinting down the hill i go onto the road i scrape up my knees the same thing happens to me 
Like I can't imagine as a parent like how annoying that would be. So I am with my family now. I'm like 22, 23, and I'm talking about this story. And everyone in my family is like, yeah, that didn't happen like that. Justin wasn't on the hill with you. You were the only one that fell. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, like, Justin didn't fall. And, like, I start to not, like, trip out, but I'm like, hold up. I vividly remember. I, like, remember watching my brother fall down the hill, scrape up, and then looking at my mom and her saying, I'm going to go take care of Justin. Please be careful. That never happened. That's pretty crazy. So what does that mean? That means when things happen to you and you respond to it, like let's say something happens to you and then like a few days later, you're trying to make sense of it. I'm not saying it's to the extent of what happened to me and my brother on the hill, supposedly. Maybe everyone's just trying to mess with me. The way in which we recall things or remember things isn't accurate. It's not accurate for for a few reasons. One, our memory sucks. It's terrible. So something happens to me. Give it a little bit of time. Like have me write it down. I'm not going to remember important details and I'm going to even like change details up. There's a nice there's a good brain games episode about it and like really calls into the question of like using um, witnesses in the judicial system because we don't remember things properly. We don't remember the things how they exactly happened. Number two is your perspective. Like there's that movie um, Vantage Point. I don't know if it's called Vantage Point. There's a movie where this like explosion happens and there's five different characters and it like let's say it goes into David's character and like it's his perspective of the explosion and like his immediate reaction like five minutes after the explosion and then it like rewinds and then goes into Susie's perspective of the explosion and they are experiencing different things so I see something happen and I try to understand it you got to understand that one the way in which you remember it probably is not true and then two the way in which you remember it is skewed because of your how you saw it you might have like the explosion happens and then you turn around and see things as opposed to someone who like was looking in that direction when the explosion happens and they're on the other side of the explosion. Your vantage point does influence how you remember stuff. Crazy. So when you're responding to things and you're reacting to things, you have to keep in mind like the way that you think that it could have happened is not entirely true. Now, the unfortunate thing is you're never going to remember exactly entirely how it happened. You just need to keep in mind and be open to the possibility. This is how I remember it, but it might not be exactly how it happened. Like just be aware of that because there's a decent chance that it's not exactly how it happened. Your recall is not correct. The next one in regards to responding is the cause and effect bias. So something might happen there is an event and a not a lot of the times but we must be aware of some things that we think cause that that event might just be correlated with that event as in like two events or two things might seem like they're connected but they're not 
as in blank didn't cause blank to happen. They just so happened to be like one happened before the other. Like for instance, there's a funny website that my one of my professors showed me. Uh, Tyler Viggen, I think that's how you pronounce his name, .com. But he has like a bunch of examples with correlation that's not causation. So for instance, um, US spending on, and he get, shows you like these graphs that just like it shows you two random things that are correlated with one another as in like if one thing is going up the other thing also goes up but that thing doesn't cause the other for instance and you might be confused as what i'm saying i think this example will help there is a correlation with u.s spending on science space and technology with suicides by hanging strangulation and suffocation so as the U.S. spends more on science, space, and technology from 1999 to 2009, I'm looking at this chart and graph. So we went from spending about like 18 billion to about 30 billion from 99 to 2009 for science, space, and technology. As that went up, it is eerily similar to suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. Now. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that they, the U.S. spending on science, space, and technology is not causing an increase in suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. Here's another example. Number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlates with films Nicolas Cage appeared in. So the more films that Nicolas Cage has appeared in in a year, let's say like 2008, he only appeared in about one the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool is also down. And in 2007, he was in about four films. And the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool is also up. So like when Nicholas film or when Nicholas Cage is in less films, the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool is also down. They are not. That doesn't like Nicholas Cage being in films doesn't cause or impact the number of deaths that people experience by drowning in pools. Correlation does not imply causation. So correlation is they're similar, but one didn't cause the other. So you got to be very aware and careful of when you're looking at something and you're trying to make sense of like, okay, why is this happening? And even like responding to it, like what caused this to happen? Don't always assume that because something happened like in a very similar time, like right before it, that it necessarily caused that to happen. You have to ask yourself, why did like this breakup occur? Or why was President Trump elected? Or anything. And there are so many variables that will that are a part of causation. And rarely and that's why, like, the butterfly effect story of Gavrilo Princip assassinating Franz Ferdinand, that, that's why that one's wild. Like, that, among other, like, there are plenty of other things that were involved, but, like, that caused World War One, among with other things. That's not always the case. Like, when you look at something that's happened, you need to be very careful and ask yourself, like, did this cause it to happen, or is it just correlated? Are they just, like, some eerily connected? Don't assume that because things happened in like a linear progression that one thing led to another. That's the cause and effect one. Kind of going along with that 
is hindsight bias. So when we're looking at something um, and you're looking at an event or this might be history, but like you're trying to make sense of something that's happened to you. Hindsight bias is you're like, oh, well, of course that makes sense. Like, cause you have, as they say, hindsight's 2020. You have 2020 vision of like, oh, of course, like, duh. Like you shouldn't have walked into that. Like when you're watching a murder movie, like, oh my gosh, you should not have walked into that room because you know that that person got murdered. You know, it was a wrong decision. You can't just apply hindsight to events or even people's actions in the past. You can somewhat judge people's actions. I'm like trying to think of specific examples, even like, let's say like something that someone did in 2019 and now you look back and like, that is so stupid. You got to be like, you're biased. Why are you biased? Because you know what happens. You have hindsight. So like, you got to be very careful when you're looking at what someone did. You got to ask yourself like, okay, what were they thinking at the time? Like this is, that's doing history really. I think that knowledge, at least when I am trying to make sense of something, I always ask myself like, okay, what do I think hindsight's going to tell me about this event or like whatever I feel about? Like, for instance, I've said this to people on Facebook. The stuff you're saying right now and like posting up all these angry things, like that's going to stick and people are going to look back at it and like history is probably not going to favor it. For instance, gay marriage being legalized. People all like freaking out and like are against it. All right, let's assume like what is hindsight going to say in the future? And you might be like, I don't care what hindsight says. Hindsight is going to look back at gay marriage being legalized just like we look back at desegregation of water fountains or anything between whites and blacks. Like few people now are butthurt that whites and blacks are drinking from the same water fountain. And if you are, then shut up. When that initially happened, how many people were freaking out? Like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And like, right? The same thing with gay marriage. Yeah. I Like, that's what I, th- when gay marriage was legalized and people are freaking out, I thought to myself, like, I feel like hindsight's not going to look properly, look back well at that. Like 20 years from now, 40 years from now, people are going to look back at people freaking out about gay marriage being legalized and they're going to respond to it in a similar way that we look at how people freaked out about desegregation of water fountains. And it's going to be fairly primitive in 40 years to be like all anti-gay marriage, just like it is now for someone to be anti-desegregation. The even going similar to that is the um, what's called decline bias. And that is also responding to things. But it's I, I suppose human nature that we do this. And I find this interesting because it's definitely seems true. The decline bias is the belief that things were better back in the day and like we're just going down and down and down. That is definitely um, fueled by clickbait media and all these sensationalist headlines that we like to click that like how many people have died and climate change and all. And like I'm not saying that the world's perfect. The world, there's evidence that shows that like life is best, the best now that's ever been. But because of decline bias, a lot of people view that like we're going down. So the way that we respond to things, so like because we feel that things are getting worse and then something happens, that confirmation bias just is like, oh yeah, that's that confirms how I feel that the world's getting worse. 
because I bet since the beginning of humanity, people are always like, man, this world's going down the drain. When in fact, data shows that life is the best it's ever been for humans across the world. Not saying life's great, but it's the best it's ever been across the board for humanity. All right, so I need to try to wrap this up in 15 minutes. So then, those are ways that we are biased, or these are things that prevent us from finding capital T truth. When we're doing research, we primarily due to confirmation bias, we need to be very careful about whatever we're looking at and the information we're finding. Is it just supporting what we already, how we already feel? Do we, st- if we find something that supports how we already feel, do we stop? Do we neglect things that don't support what we already think? And then when we're doing research, are we only picking sources that are going to make us feel good about ourselves? Then you got to ask yourself, what are the people, whoever I'm reading about or whoever's presenting this information, how are they biased? Fox and CNN, all them biased. So when you're finding information from just Fox or just CNN, you are finding biased information and it's just confirming what you think. And when you just Google gun control, the algorithm's going to, and like they, ad- this is being admitted, the algorithm's going to give you things that you are going to want to click. And you want to click it because finding stuff that you already believe and that just supports what you believe, one, gives you joy and makes you feel good because you're like, I'm right. Two, you don't have to think because the only reason you would have to think is if you realize like, oh, this is probably more complicated than I thought. Then you got to think more about it. And thinking is like exercising. It's like doing sprints up a hill. It's work. So when you're finally told like, hey man, you've got it. You've reached that level of fitness that like you don't have to do any more sprints. You're like, heck yeah. And you go and you go drink water and just like chill because you don't got to do it anymore. Same thing with think- like if you're like, hey man, you've, you understand this. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You're like, nice. And you're seeking that. We're all seeking that because it feels good. It's natural for us to not want to think more than we have to about blank. When we feel like we properly understand it, again, feel that we properly understand it, we tend to not have to think about it anymore. So that's why we're seeking out that confirmation. I'm realizing I'm going to have to turn this into a two-part series about objectivity. But I don't think we are taught how to be objective well enough. And I don't think as adult learners we were taught and then we don't think about be like i think we're aware when other people aren't objective and we don't really consistently consciously consider like all those c's um what being subjective does to us in our society i think that's what the next the next episode is going to be why we should be objective but Today, and this podcast is when you are trying to understand something and the next step in the process is understanding and we're going to talk about like, how do you know when you know something well, or at least well enough, we're going to talk about like the level. So that's like the vertical axis, but we aren't really aware of the subjectivity within ourselves. We're never really taught how to be conscious about being objective regards to understanding 
researching, so seeking out information, that type of understanding, as well as understanding things that are happening to us. I don't really think it's developed within us to be objective. And it's against our nature, in a sense, to be objective because like all this research shows that we are to a core subjective beings and like we like confirmation bias is incredibly real we don't like to have to think too hard life is easier when you don't have to think it's like this saying ignorance is bliss life is easier when you look at something you understand it for what you want it to be you feel happy and then you go about your day and yeah, I like I get it. I get looking at something and like and not everything is you don't have to look at everything and like think about like how like what do I want to be true about this? And it's not always about deceiving ourselves. I'm um, like a random example between Coke and Pepsi. Like there's not there's not a whole lot of depth to it of like you're deceiving yourself. Pepsi's actually objectively better. Like if you like Coke, Go for it. But there are some things that like, we all need to do a better job of being objective about when we're trying to understand things. When we're understanding how we're interacting with others, how the people around us are behaving, we should be objective. And then we should be objective about how we feel about the world around us, as well as how we feel about ourselves and what we are doing ourselves. So the next episode is going to be why we should be objective. I think this episode was predominantly how to be objective and how to be aware of your bias. And in the end, it's really all about your confirmation bias. And you should ask yourself, that's today's homework or this week's homework until the next episode. What do you want to be true about things? What do you want to be true about your relationships? What do you want to be true about politics? What do you want to be true about religion and whatever else acknowledge whatever leads to your confirmation bias just and i'm not saying it's because it's impossible not to want things to be true acknowledge it put it into words like for instance in a relationship this is what i wish it was this is what i want to be true i think like and going with relationship you could want something to be true and when things happen you deceive yourself and you're not objective and like properly acknowledging things because you just want it to seem correct and you want things to be right. The next step would then be this is what I want to be true and then ask yourself what is it? This is what I want to be true. This is what it is. And like, that's not just for the relationship thing. That's for everything. This is what I want to be true. Then the next step is, this is what it is. And then next week, we're going to be talking about like, why can that be beneficial? One, for yourself. Two, for society. Man. Oh, geez. I didn't even get into why the earth is flat. 